Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Martha, thank you so much. Thank you, Martha. Would you please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. Today we're going to talk about the seven last plagues, the drying up of the great river Euphrates, the deliverance of God's people, and the small cloud that appears in the east. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1 as we continue our uh, Bible studies from the apocalypse. And today we want to give a very special welcome to our viewers on Three Angels Broadcasting Network and to our friends across America. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is completed. This study today is about the final revelation of the wrath of God. 
we believe that the greatest doctrine in the Bible is the doctrine of the love of God. We believe that God loves us. We believe that God gave his own son. But we believe that the cross of Calvary was not only a demonstration of the love of God, it was also a demonstration of the righteous wrath of God. And you may say, how is this so? Because the wrath that I deserved because of my sins was directed upon Jesus, who was absolutely sinless. He came and he stood in my place and he died so that I would not have to go through the wrath of God. But the Bible teaches that there is going to be a great multitude of people who turn away from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, upon them will come undiluted the wrath of God. This today is strong material. Revelation 15 and verse 1, notice it again. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. This is still to come, my friend, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And in these plagues we see the righteousness of God. God is full of love. God is love, the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches that God also is holy and righteous. And upon a world that has rejected the love of God will come the wrath of God. Notice verses 2 and onwards. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And the Bible tells us the words, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Uh, this verse, verse 2 particularly, and uh, the next verse with the allusion to Moses, is built upon the story of the Exodus. How God led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. And the Bible tells us that upon the ancient Egyptians, because of their rejection of the grace of God, came the wrath of God. And it came in ten devastating plagues. You know the story, don't you? And then you know the story of how the children of Israel went through the Red Sea by the miraculous grace of God. And when they got over on the other shore, they stood on the shore of the Red Sea and they sang the song of Moses. A song of deliverance from an awful oppressor. And as they stood beside the Red Sea, there was the, the fiery pillar over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea appeared to be uh, on fire. They stood beside the sea of glass, mingled as it were with fire, and they sang the song of Moses. Now the Bible says that there is going to be a generation, and I hope that I'm in that generation. There is going to be a generation of people who get the victory over the beast, over the image of the beast, over the mark of the beast, and they're going to come out of the, the seven last plagues, and they're going to go through the Red Sea by the miraculous power of God. And then they're going to stand beside the sea of glass, mingled as it were with fire, and they're going to sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I tell you, my friend, this gives me tremendous encouragement because the text tells me that God, in spite of all the powers of darkness, God is going to have a people who get the victory. Sometimes we think apostasy is so widespread and sin is so rampant and the devil is so strong that hardly any person is going to be saved. But the Bible says there is going to be a great multitude who are redeemed from this world and they're going to stand for Christ and stand for truth. God is going to have a class of people in the last days who are going to be religious non-conformists. Today we live in an age when it is considered to be a good thing if you are a conformist. God's people in the last days are not going to be nuts. They're not going to be non-conformists just for the sake of being queer or different. 
They're not going to be spiritual fanatics, but they're going to be spiritual stalwarts who will say no to sin, and they will be, as far as truth is concerned, spiritual nonconformists. And the Bible says, these people sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And HMS Richards said, and I, I just love HMS Richards, I'm listening to some of his, his marvelous audio tapes, I was listening to them, they're the tapes that you gave me, and that I, I was playing through when I, Beverly and I went up to Cedar Falls, and hearing that great old man preach, he said, if I can get you to think, then he said, I will have accomplished something in this service. To get people to think. A church service ought to be a time when people are stimulated to think. That's a new experience for lots and lots of people I know. But a church service is a time when people ought to be stimulated to think. It has been said that 1% uh, of the world thinks. 10% uh, think they think. And the rest would rather die than think. Now the saints of God are called to think. And not to think the thoughts of other men necessarily, but to think the thoughts of God and to go and study for themselves. Now we will see today that these seven last plagues are poured out upon the world before Jesus comes. I know there are many wonderful, uh, wonderful Christians out there in the evangelical world who believe that the church is raptured home to glory and then the plagues come. I do not believe that that is so because I believe it is contrary to the plain teaching of the Bible. And while I recognize that there are wonderful Christians who hold different views to my views, I believe the Bible teaches very, very plainly that the plagues are, are poured out upon a world that has rejected God and persecuted the people of God before the second coming. And so I believe that we can prove this to you today. Please read on with me if you don't mind. And for a few moments you can think, uh, well you can forget about the angels and you can think about that later. Now verse 5, after these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Now there's a thought that's just come into my mind that I, I want to say and it's got nothing to do with these texts. Here it is. Have you met people who cannot stand a new idea? I meet them all the time. Religious people are the worst. They are afraid to have the molecules of their minds disturbed, like the Pharisees. Hmm. They want to go down a comfortable rut and they want to stay there and they don't want to be disturbed. The Lord has sent me to disturb you and to disturb you to, to think, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, as I've said before. Now, there is something which is a pernicious sin, that if a person has an idea that may be different to yours or to mine, that we ought to hate him and ostracize him. That's narrow-mindedness at the worst. Christians ought to be able to differ on theological points and still love each other. I've seen some people, my friend, even when they've been discussing the great truth about the, the sanctuary, get so mad that they put up, this would never happen, I know, in America. It's all right, Steve, I've got it under control, thanks. I'm glad that you want to help me with my glasses, but I still think I can handle that. Thank you. I've seen people in Australia put up their fists to fight with their faces bright red and their arteries pulsating to fight over the sanctuary whose main message is love and forgiveness. So you don't see it the same way as I do, therefore you're, you're damned and you're going to hell and I've got to put a label on you. That's awful. Now, if you don't agree with everything I preach, that's all right. You just may be right. On the other hand, you just may be wrong, too. So how do we know? We go to Holy Scripture. 
hear this, we go to Holy Scripture. You're listening to me? A lot of you folks, well not a lot of you, but some of you, don't go to Holy Scripture. You go to every other source, but you need to go to Holy Scripture. Alan White said, the Bible and the Bible alone is our rule of faith and practice. She said, the words of the Bible alone ought to be heard from our pulpits. Now the reason people don't go to the Bible is because they, they are lazy. Lazy. If you go to the Bible and if you study the Bible, you just may need to think. And for some people, that's a pretty weird experience. Now the Bible says here, the temple of God is open in heaven and there is seen the ark of his testimony. Listen carefully. I'm going to tell you something that is very important. The word testimony in the Hebrew, this is Greek of course, the word testimony is aduth and this is uh, the Greek equivalent of aduth. In the Old Testament there are a number of very important words. One is Torah, that means the law of God. And the Torah simply means the revealed will of God. It sometimes means the commandments and sometimes it means almost anything and everything. The Torah basically refers to the five books of the Bible, the start, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when you talk about the law, you're using a very broad term. Now listen to this. This is important. Whenever the word testimony is used in connection with the sanctuary, it means only one thing. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Let me say it again because this is new light to every person. I think here, whenever the word testimony, a dooth, is used in connection with the sanctuary, it means the Ten Commandments. Only the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath. The Bi I can give you a hundred passages and I don't have time for it. The Bible says when Moses came down from the mountain, he had the two tablets of the, not the law, he had the two tablets of the testimony. It is the testimony of the righteousness of God, of the character of God. Are you listening? The Bible talks about the ark of the testimony. It doesn't say the ark of the law. The ark of the testimony. I can give you a hundred passages. If you doubt this, go and get Young's analytical concordance, or Strong's concordance, uh, even Cruden's concordance. You've heard of the, there are three concordances, great concordances. Strong's concordance, somebody said for strong Christians. Young's concordance for young Christians. And Cruden's for whom? Well, for crude Christians. So you can take your pick. But you take any good analytical concordance and look up the word testimony. You sleeping there, lady? Just give her a little nudge. Testimony refers to the Ten Commandments and it talks over and over again about the Ark of the Testimony which is the Ark of the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments. It talks about the Tabernacle of the Testimony, the Tabernacle of the Ten Commandments. And when it says that John looked up into glory and the Ark of the Testimony in heaven was opened, it refers to the Ark of the Ten Commandments including the Sabbath. And the seven last plagues are poured out you say, I, I'm not already altogether convinced on this. Well, you need to be because it is one of the plainest teachings in the Bible and there is no question about it. I'm absolutely certain. You can't argue on this point. The scholars agree with me on this point. The Hebrew scholars. Listen. The seven last plagues are poured out upon a world that has trampled underfoot the testimony, the commandments of God. We are saved by grace through faith, but a man, Fred, who is saved by grace through faith will keep by the grace of God the commandments of God. 
We do not believe in the doctrine of cheap grace that say the right words and live how you like. As a preacher said to me recently, he said, I believe in once saved, always saved. He said, I and of course not everybody who believes that doctrine would, would take his conclusion, but that preacher said to me, I believe I can live like hell and go to heaven. That's the devil's doctrine. A person who is under the blood of Jesus will love the commandments of God. And upon a world that has rejected the commandments and trampled underfoot the Son of God, the commandments, the Bible says, the plagues will come. So this is not a mamby-pamby chapter, is it? Out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. I've gone into churches, even Adventist churches, and they say, we do not believe in the wrath of God. I've had people come to me and they say, God never destroys anybody. We destroy ourselves. Where do the seven last plagues come from, brother? Hmm? Where did the flood come from? Where did the fire that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah come from? People say, we destroy ourselves. Yes, we do. But that's only in this, time, this lifetime. The Bible says every person must endure the wrath of God. And you endure it through the atonement when you're safe in Christ, or you endure it by yourself. The reason Jesus went to the cross was because of the wrath of God. The law said the sinner must die. The sinner must be punished. Jesus was punished in my place. I can talk about a great place in this area where they teach the moral influence theory, which is one of the biggest heresies. And it has permeated all this part of the world. It's permeated all this part of the world. Moral influence theory says that the great God of love sent Jesus down to this world. While Jesus was here, Jesus happened to get killed. He died, yes, on the cross, but he didn't die because of the wrath of God against sin. He died to show us how much God loves us. Jesus died to show us how much he loves us, but he died to show us what the wrath of God is. And unless you and I, sister and brother, unless you are in the Son of God, you will have one day the wrath of God. I can't believe that people can come into a church like this and go to sleep. Can't believe it. Don't you know that we have a heaven to win and we have a hell to shun? HMS Riches tells the story of a poor preacher when he, he, he was so sleepy that one day when he was preaching before a congregation, he went to sleep as he was preaching. He fell over in the pulpit, went to sleep. HMS Richards said, we can't be too hard on the man. He, you know, obviously he had a sickness. But it is a great sickness, isn't it? To be sleeping on the borders of the kingdom. As somebody said, we sing standing on the promises when in fact we're sleeping on the premises. Hmm. You like that one, Steve? Write that down so I don't forget it. <laughs> then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now today, I've got good news for you. The temple in heaven is not empty. There's a man there. There's a God-man there. One such as we are, with Nile Prince in his hands, fully God, fully man. And he is our high priest, and he intercedes for me today. And he says, my blood, my blood. While he is there, the door of mercy is open for you and for me. 
But the day is going to come when there's going to be no person in the temple and mercy is going to fold her wings. Mercy will no longer plead for you. We have this awful heresy that one day I will repent. Don't count on it. The person who plans to repent at the 11th hour usually dies at 10.45. Just remember it. And that may mean you, brother. The Bible says there was no one in the temple. The Bible tells us, thanks be to God, now is the day of salvation. There is someone today in the temple, Jesus our Lord. But the day is going to come when the glory of God is going to fill that temple and the wrath of God is going to come. When it talks about these seven uh, containers, I want you to notice this because this also is important. 16 verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Those were the bowls that were used on the Day of Atonement. Did you know that the Day of Atonement has a great eschatological application, has a great application to the last days? That's what we Adventists believe, and other scholars believe that too. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest came and sprinkled the blood seven times. Seven displays of mercy and forgiveness. But here in the antitypical Day of Atonement, the angels of judgment acting during the Day of Atonement do not come and sprinkle blood of mercy and forgiveness. They sprinkle the blood of vengeance. If you and I do not accept the blood of mercy, brother, sitting up there. If you and I don't accept the blood of mercy, we will accept the blood of vengeance. I was talking to an old buddy of mine in Texas, Jim Gilley, whom God has used, and let me send my greetings to Jim Gilley, who's got a satellite. Greetings to you, Jim, and your family, Camille. Um, Jim came to me, he's been blessed mightily in the Ukraine, done a mighty work. He said to me, you were born for the work you did in Russia. He said to me, you were destined to do it. I said, I know, I was born to do it. I was appointed by God to do it. I know it, I have that sense. And I said, you were born to do the work, you were destined to do the work you've done. The thousands of souls, if you want to Christ, over there in the Ukraine. And then he said something to me that should make every one of us in this part of the world tremble. He said, I seem to think that mercy is closing for this nation. I seem to think that this nation has had its opportunity and we will spend millions and millions in this country and we're going to spend a lot in Pasadena because I don't believe the door has closed. But I want to tell you the door is closing for America. We've had the opportunity. We've heard it. That's why you folks, some of you can come along to church and you're so spiritually dead, you're not even interested in what you hear. You go to sleep, you're not interested. Nobody goes to sleep in Russia because they're so much closer to God than some of you are. Amen. Some of you are so dead. And I'm talking about people all watching on television. You go along to some of our churches, so dead, and we think it's piety. It's not piety, it's an abomination that stinks in the nostrils of the Lord God Almighty. Go along to some churches, if anybody praises God, the old Pharisees look down their long noses. And those long noses are soon going to smell the seven last plagues. Hmm. So I want to tell you that God is getting tired of our coldness and our laxness, and our indifference to the preaching of the gospel. I've been told, don't say these things, but I'm going to say it anyhow. God knows that we need a revival in this Advent movement. We need a revival in Bible preaching. That's why I support Robert Fockenberg so much. Godly man leading the general conference, out shaking the mulberry trees to try to get some fruit for the preaching of the gospel overseas. God bless him. God bless him. That's why I support him. We need a mighty revival in how we spend the dollar. We ought to put the dollar into the preaching of the gospel. Mm. 
I'll be temperate and say no more. <clears throat> then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, look at it in the Bible and think about it. Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. You know, Steve, I'm told, <coughs> Danny Sheldon, uh, Danny, just listen to me wherever you are now, whether you're in the studio or eating some food that Linda's made, if you just listen up. We're told not to preach this stuff. I've been told that my career would be finished if I preached this stuff. I've been told you are in the black book because you preach this stuff. I wouldn't want to have the blood of these souls upon my hands because the Bible says the plagues come upon those who follow the beast, who follow the image of the beast and the mark of the beast and these people say don't preach it. You know what they're saying? Let those people go to hell for our popularity's sake. That's what they're saying. Those people, if they're not careful, are going to get the seven last plagues. Mm. Going to get the seven last plagues. Because they're conforming to the will of man rather than to the will of God. I say let us preach this stuff. And, and upon those who worship the beast. The Bible tells us that the last great issue in the world is going to be over worship. And the worship of the beast. Conformity to the dictates of man. I have set my course by a star. I have decided, I have made up my mind that by the grace of God I will not try to please you or please any man if it conflicts with the Word of God. People say, but you should always do what you're told. That's what the devil says. You should do what the Bible says. Don't do what I tell you to do unless God is behind it and then you better do it. Do what the Bible says. We should be conformists to the extent that our consciences allow us. But when it comes to truth, we should say, I will not bend, I will not bow, I will not budge, and I will not burn. As I said a couple of weeks ago. And so this awful sore upon those who have the mark of the beast then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man. That's terrible, isn't it? Every living soul died in the sea. Now the full meaning of these verses, I believe, is yet to be revealed. The sea may even represent the peoples of the earth. If we take it symbolically, it means that the peoples of the earth will be turned into blood. That means war such as we've never known. Every man's hand against his brother. The blacks against the whites and the, and the Hispanics against the Koreans and, and all of this fighting and killing each other because they don't have Christ in their hearts. You see? If you want to know how far men get apart from each other, it's the distance they are apart from God. And so this could include also the literal sea. If it does, one day you'll go down to Malibu and there will be a stagnant pool of filthy blood. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Now... Let me give you what this could mean. The rivers and the fountains could be the sources of life and blessing in this world, now perverted. You can notice what I said about that in my talk on the seven trumpets. The sources of life and blessing now perverted become the elements of death. I believe they will also be literally fulfilled when people, when the sun is blazing hot, will go to the tap to get some water and out will gurgle the blood of a dead man. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus has been offering this world and you, sister, the water of life for 2,000 years. Most of us got no time. We got no time. We've only got time for the dollar. Only got time for ourselves. The day is going to come when people who have rejected the water of life 
will have blood to drink. It's true. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And we should notice verse 5 and 6. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to, to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is their just due. Here you have the justice of God. The justice of God. God is full of love. God is love, the Bible says. The Bible says God is just. And God is just, and justice cannot sleep forever, as Abraham Lincoln said. God is just, and justice cannot sleep forever. He spoke about the sin of slavery when he said those words. The Bible says that in the last days, the Antichrist and all the followers, the weak need, are going to issue a decree to put the saints to death. They'll say, unless you conform to the dictates of the church and the state, you're going to be put to death. And because they sentenced the saints to death, God is going to give them blood to drink. And the Bible says, it is their due. Just and true are your ways. Strong, isn't it? Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory, because the day of repentance is past. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, as it was in ancient Egypt. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. These things are going to come. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up. Listen carefully now. So that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy trinity. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. You see, Jesus is still to come here. And these plagues have been poured out and Jesus is still to come. Behold, I'm, that proves it, that the coming of Jesus is after these things. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. These verses for many years have been misunderstood. I believe that now we have a far better understanding of it. What does it mean, the river Euphrates? Upon whom are these plagues poured? The Bible says the plagues are poured upon Babylon. Therefore shall your plagues come in one day. To understand these verses, you must understand what happened back in the Old Testament. There was the city of Babylon that had taken captive the people of God, seated upon what river? The river Euphrates. And then God raised up a man. God said, he's a, my appointed one. What was his name? His name was Cyrus. And he came from where? He came from the east. And he brought a mighty army. And he came to the city of Babylon. It was an impregnable fortress. You know what he did? He dried up the river Euphrates. Dried up the river. And marched his soldiers down the bed of the river. And overthrew the city of Babylon. So that the people of God could go back to Jerusalem. Now in the last days... Revelation 17, 15 says that the, people, that the waters that you saw, the river Euphrates, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. They are the people in the world who support the great system of the Antichrist. And they will make war against the saints. But the Bible says right at the very end of time they will discover that they have been deluded and they will turn on the Antichrist. The Bible says this in Revelation 17 that they will hate the whore and they will strip her naked and they will burn her with fire. And the nations that have supported the Antichrist under the sixth plague finally wake up. But it's too late. And they withdraw their support from the great system of Babylon. The spiritual waters are dried up and Jesus... The great Cyrus 
The king from the east comes and delivers his people. Glory be to God. That's what Armageddon is, my friend. Armageddon is not a... You turn on these... On, on the television stations and you hear about Armageddon, they're going to be, the Americans are going to be fighting the Russians over there in Palestine. What on earth for? They're not preaching this so much, seeing the Soviet Union has collapsed. Armageddon is not a battle that is isolated to the plains of Megiddo. No scholar today believes that. Armageddon is the last great battle between Christ and Antichrist, between Babylon and Jerusalem, the people of God and the people of the devil. It'll appear that the great waters of the river Euphrates will overwhelm the people of God and destroy them. But my friend, under the sixth plague, Jesus intervenes and dries up the support and Jesus comes and his people are delivered. God's people are in for a hard time, but I tell you what, they're not in for the seven last plagues. They're going to be delivered. Isn't this good? Then the seventh angel poured out. I couldn't sleep in church if I knew these things. If I was sleeping in church during a sermon like this, I think I'd need a brain transplant. And come and see us after the meeting, we'll try to help you. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. What does that remind you of? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was a dark day and there was an earthquake and there was a judgment scene and the world was divided at the cross. And Jesus cried out, It is done. And now he cries out again, it is done. This is the end of everything. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts as Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell. That's the end of Los Angeles and New York and Sydney and Moscow. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, every hailstone about the weight of a talent, which is around a hundred pounds. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceeding great. And I have a message for you in that day, you'll need a hiding place. When the hailstones fall and the mountains are moved out of their place, you'll need a hiding place. Religious platitudes are not going to save in that day. Religious conformity will never save a person. When the earth is destroyed and the islands are moved out of their place, God gave to the prophet in Psalm 91 a great vision. A thousand shall fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. God's people will have a hiding place if you have it today. Over in West Australia, George Vanderman tells a story. I can tell it better because I'm an Australian. In West Australia, there was a great bush fire, eucalyptus fire. They make these fires in Southern California seem just like barbecues. Barbecue fires. A eucalyptus fire is a dreadful fire because as the eucalyptus, we call it gum trees, as they burn, they, they emit the eucalyptus gas. And a couple of square miles of eucalyptus forest is equivalent in heat to an atom bomb. And uh, sometimes the fire is so intense, the trees are literally pulled up by the roots and thrown up in the air. I've seen a eucalyptus fire and there was a eucalyptus fire in West Australia. A man had a little hut out in the, in the bush and behind the hut 
on the front of his house, he had a veranda out the front and an old rocking chair and a clothesline out the back. You know the song? Don't know it? It's good. It's a great song we've got. Beverly and I exercised to it. It's a great song. We won't get you to sing it. No, it's not waltzing with Teller. It's more dignified. But there was this farmer. He had a little cabin. And out the back, he had a chicken coop made out of wire, chicken wire. And he had a bunch of chooks, which is translated chickens or hens. Mm -hmm. Chooks. When you go out to get them, what do you say when you throw them some chook, 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 chook? So that's why I call them chooks. So here he was. He had this little hut, and out the back he had some what? Had some chooks. Had some chooks. Had some chickens. Had some hens. And hens lay eggs. And those eggs develop into little chickens. And there came this fire, and it raged through. And when he came home, there was nothing left of his home. It was gone. The house was burned to the ground. And he walked around the back, and the, the chicken wire was just a mass. Everything was just a heap. There was the galvanized iron roof. It was lying on the ground. And as he walked past it, he saw a clump on the ground. And he kicked it. It's a true story. He kicked it. And as he kicked it, out scrambled five little fluffy chickens. It was a mother hen. She had got her chickens under her wings and she spread out her wings over her chickens. And when the fire came through, it destroyed her, but the chickens were preserved. I want you to know this, and you folks who are leaving too, I want you to know this. When the fire comes, the fire is going to pass over the people who are covered by the feathers of the eternal God. The Bible says in Psalm 91, He shall cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you shall trust. His truth will be your shield and buckler. I will not be afraid of the terror by night. So what should I do? The problem here in a church like this, and talking to the people on 3ABN, preaching in America to all of these wonderful people, is this. We think we know it all. We talk about it. We think we know it all. We need to know Christ as our Savior. We need to be born again. We need to be under the blood of Christ. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be covered by the feathers of God. If you are not in that situation today, and if this has seemed just a good hour of entertainment, I'm going to pray a prayer for you that tonight you won't sleep. I'm going to pray that this sermon will haunt you. I'm going to pray that wherever you go, you will see this, these chapters in the Bible. I'm going to pray that you'll see the Decalogue open in heaven. I'm going to pray that you'll see the, feel the earthquake, that you'll see the mountains moved out of their places, and that you will come to the place where you will cry out, Lord, have mercy upon this sinner, and that you will come to the foot of the cross and be covered by the blood that alone will save. This chapter is given... By God, the fires of this chapter are revealed by God to crack open the shells of indifference. I pray today that the shells of indifference that are in this church will feel the heat and be cracked open to receive the love of God. I want you to pray. Just bow your heads. Father, Father in heaven above, glorious and mighty, God of love, God of righteousness, God of judgment, we come to you today and we thank you for these remarkable chapters. 
chapters that are soon to be fulfilled in the history of planet Earth, a planet in rebellion. We can see today as we read the Holy Scriptures that we are saved by the blood, saved by grace. But our Father, we can also see here today that one day in heaven, the temple of God, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony is going to be opened and the angels are going to come out of that most holy place and the antitypical day of atonement is going to reach its grand climax. In that day, our Father, when the sea becomes blood and the earth reels like a drunken man, when the mountains are moved out of their places and the rivers run blood, in that day, our Father, we will need a hiding place. We thank you for the promise. None of these plagues shall come nigh your dwelling. For he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Our Father, today, cover us now. As poor, weak sinners, we come into your presence. We confess our sins to you. We don't come because of our righteousness. We, co we come because of our lack of it. Forgive our sins. Wash us in the blood. Put your spirit in us today, our Father. Bless the viewers on 3ABN across America. Bless this church. Cover us today with the eternal feathers of the eternal God. Do it today, Father. Hear our prayer, O Lord. As we're praying today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God, how many will raise a hand and cry out to God and say, Oh God, cover me today. Raise your hand if you can say that. Cover me today, Lord. Cover me with the feathers of God. Cover me with the blood of the Lamb. Write my name down in glory. And I worship you today. And I bless you. And I praise you. In Jesus' mighty and marvelous name. Amen and amen.